everybody. This is Marcia O'Connor, CEO and founder of the O'Connor Group. And we're back to top three, where entrepreneurs are sharing secrets and their mistakes. And today we are very fortunate to have a guest, Kevin Fox. He is one of the founding members of the Capstone Group. It's going to talk to me more about what they do, why they do it, and how even us as the O'Connor Group, we utilize them quite a bit. Uh, for what they do and their services. So Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marsha. Really appreciate you having me. Happy to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. And so Kevin, you know, obviously you and your brother are in the business together and all too. So number one, you have a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this and they're all saying, do I really go in with my family member? So what's your advice to them off the bat? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, you know, I think it takes a unique family dynamic. Uh, and for us, it works. Uh, for us, it, honestly, uh, we've been doing this nine years now, and I consider it a, a true competitive advantage that we have. Um, we actually just welcomed our youngest brother onto the team. He's he's about eight, nine years younger than, than Joe and I. And uh, he just joined us, and, and he's doing great. And uh, we actually have an aunt in the business as well. She's a director of finance. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but we, we come from somewhat of a family business entrepreneurial background. So that's certainly helped us um, understand what we're getting ourselves into. And uh, really the dynamic is everything, you know, being able to be open and honest with each other um, has enabled us. And look, you, you essentially have, a built-in partner for life. So having that, the the trust that comes along with that, just you know, the the transparency we can have with each other on a daily basis, uh, I certainly consider it a competitive advantage. And for the right type of family dynamic, I I highly recommend it. Oh, absolutely! And talk about that. You mentioned that it was in the family already. So walk us through, you know, what you had to do as a kid being part of the family business. Yeah, so um, our parents started their business in the late 80s, um, completely unrelated to what we're doing here at Capstone, but uh, they had a really successful run. They started with just the two of them. Um, they grew it to a couple hundred employees across the country. Uh, they sold it off once to a very large payroll company. And then actually, and that was probably the late 90s, and they actually bought it back again, uh, pennies on the dollar. You know, at the time, my dad ended up becoming a full-time basketball coach, coaching my wow. brothers and I. Uh, but then they had an opportunity to buy it back. So they took advantage of it. And um, they once they took it back over, they grew it up again for a number of years and then sold it off to private equity in the early 2000s. So for my brother and I uh, and, and our younger siblings, that's really all we knew, Marsha, was running through the halls of their office. And we had aunts and uncles and cousins involved in the business. And even their employees became extended family to us. You know, they, they were our first babysitters mm -hmm. <laughs> were their employees. So it was, uh, for us, it's what we knew. And uh, Joe and I always knew we wanted to do something together. Uh, we didn't know what it would be. And uh, for, for a number of reasons, our parents had sold the business before we graduated college. So for us, that was never an option. You know, it was never, hey, let's come in and take over, uh, get involved in the family business and work our way up. Um, so we graduated college and, and both went to work for large financial institutions. Um, 
and got our start that way. And uh, the opportunity really came up for us to start Capstone with a third partner who had been in the business about 20, 25 years. His name was Dan, his name's Dan McGill. Um, the synergy was Dan man managed the commercial insurance and benefits for our parents for about the last 10, 15 years of their business. So they knew Dan professionally. We knew Dan personally. And uh, it was really him looking to go start his own firm that we caught wind of. He actually approached our dad for advice on, on how to start a business. And when we caught wind of it and we sat down with Dan and said, you know, why insurance? Why, why start this business? Why get into it? And there was a number of reasons, especially on the commercial insurance and personal side. But at that time, Marsha, it was 2000, you know, really Obamacare was passed in 2010. Um, but the major provisions weren't really passed until 2013, 14. And that's where we saw the big opportunity. You know, there was a lot of confusion there. You, you know, you have a, a system that was essentially turned upside down for the first time in a number of years. And we saw an opportunity to really guide employees and employers alike through a challenging time. So that's when we came together, 2013, and put a business plan together and launched Capstone in, in January of 13. And here you are, which is so cool. So how many employees do you have now? So happy to report, it's good timing. Today, we actually, uh, today just got a acceptance for our 30th employee. So Ooh. it's a nice milestone for us. That's a huge milestone. That's a lot of growth in a little bit of time too, because 2013, obviously, you know, think about it, it was eight years ago. So um, to have 30 people on board has been great. What do you think has been like the top two things for a successful growth like that? It's hard. Yeah, you know, it, as you know, Marsha, it does not happen overnight. Um, early years, you're, you're, you're just in survival mode and you constantly feel like you're two steps forward, one step back. Um, I would say for us, it, it really didn't even start clicking until about four or five years ago. So, um, you know, if we've been doing this close to nine years, it took us four or five just to really hit our stride. And then at that point, you feel like it's, three steps forward and one step back and four steps forward. So again, um, it, 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 it's a progression, right? It's an evolution of it as a company, but I would say the number one driver of our success has been our team has been those, those 30 individuals that have come together with a common goal. And, um, it's interesting if you look at our team, their trajectory and path are, is similar to ours in that we didn't come from this industry. You know, we mm -hmm. saw an opportunity in benefits and insurance, um, but Joe and I didn't have extensive background in it, like many entrepreneurs do. Uh, a lot of our team are the same way. They come to us from different professions, whether it's um, from tech, the tech sector. We've brought on four or five that are former teachers, mm -hmm. right? And for whatever reason, um, the care that goes into being a teacher has really translated well into our business and customer service. So um, our team is first and foremost. You know, we, we we say that you know we're we're at us as individuals can accomplish a little bit, but if you want to scale a business, you need to bring on people that carry that same philosophy and that same mission and can support it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and they're an extension of you, an extension of the brand. And if everybody's not operating 
under the, those same core values, then you're not going to have much success and growth. So, um, yeah, no, all, all the credit to the team as far as our growth goes over the last nine years. Yeah. Now, do you use any kind of method to keep that together? For example, I know we use EOS and EOS is the entrepreneur operating system. Do you guys have anything in mind, scale up or things like that to help you understand your numbers and your metrics? Yeah, we're, we listen to all of that, right? I wouldn't say there's one operating system that we subscribe to religiously. Mm-hmm. Um, we see what other companies are out there and, and being a benefits consulting firm, we have the advantage of seeing hundreds of different cultures, mm-hmm. right? So we go into businesses and, um, and see how they're building their culture and retaining and attracting key employees. Some are, you know, there's ones that are super extreme where they're having happy hours and parties and, you know, bring your dogs and kids to work every month. And, um, that's incredible. I mean, we're seeing, we, we deal with, especially over the past five years, we've really resonated with a lot of high growth mission driven companies in and around metropolitan areas. So being able to take pages out of their book, um, and just making it our own and, and taking some of their best practices and applying it to our group mm-hmm. has enabled us. And, and fortunately, over the past three years, we have been recognized as the best place to work in, in greater Philadelphia by the Philadelphia Business Journal. And that's a huge accomplishment for us. Um, but we never feel like we've mastered it, right? It's never, oh, this is our process. We, we have to be open to new ideas. And um, we establish committees here internally to do that. You know, it can't really be focused and fall onto the shoulders of one person. It needs to be, culture is a concerted effort, right? Uh, with everybody. So we feel that um, by having the committee, everybody can input their ideas and we can do things that, um, or, or I guess change how we're doing things rather quickly with a group of 30 to make sure we, we have that, we're building that culture that we want. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. I don't think people realize that, but you really have to, um, I don't know, you got to figure out as the leaders, I just wrote something on Todd Cohen's thing today about this. Like it starts at the top. You got to make sure that what you want, everybody coming on board, understands your values, where you're going and all too, because you know, growth is really difficult when you hit your, I always call it the tens, you know, the 10, the 20, the 30, the 40, yeah. the 50s. Um, and then when you get to the hundreds, it gets really difficult at the hundreds, you know, so it's the multiple of that. So I think people have to realize that a lot of things change, your your um, processes change all the time. Right. And it's not like a shoe off for each. So when you talk about your company, walk us through specifically your two areas that, you, uh, that you're in business in. Yeah, so our primary divisions, we actually have three core divisions. We have commercial, property, and liability. Okay. Um, in that division, we're helping consult on general liability, professional liability, workers' compensation, um, those liability-type risks. Uh, our second component of that that falls under property and casualty is personal insurance and private lines. So. Uh, home, auto, umbrella for individuals, life insurance. And then our third, which we talked a little bit about, what is our group employee benefits. Um, as a business today, probably 65% of our firm is on the group employee benefit side. It's, it's where we've seen the most growth, especially over the last five years or so. 
And and speaking of that growth and what you're seeing in employee benefits, obviously, you know, you we're in that recruiting business. And I think everybody, I don't care what business you have, you're in recruiting business one way or the other. Right. Um, and, and I know that benefits, because we're also HR consulting company, we're seeing a, a lot of changes happening with the benefit programs. What do you see for like the entrepreneurs out there or some of the top areas that you're basically um, helping your clients um, either add more or take less of? Yeah, I'd say within every client we work with, there's really three key shareholders, right? You have your employees, mm-hmm. you have the HR teams, and then you have finance slash executives. Right. And there's different areas that are important to those three key shareholders. So for us, when we sit down as a benefits team, it, we don't want to oversimplify it, but they're the three shareholders we need to appease to. And right. if, if any one of those three are not satisfied, we're not doing our job. So when it comes to the employees, it's communication and education. You know, these benefits are being provided by your employer. It's our job to show you how to maximize them. Um, you and I both know, Marsha, our, our healthcare system in the United States is so complicated. You know, we're in the business. And when I take my kids to the doctor, I'm still calling our team asking about co-pays and deductibles. I mean, it's uh, you need that advocacy built in. Um, Secondly, HR, right? When you're talking about entrepreneurs, our focus, uh, we deal with a lot of mid-sized businesses. Again, a lot of high growth. Typically between 50 employees to 1,000 is where we're spending most of our time. Mm-hmm. Those teams, a lot of times, have an HR or an operations person that's stretched very thin. Um, for us, we have built-in resources, one of which being O'Connor Group, that whatever we can do to assist and take items off of hr's plate we will um you know now there's this whole world of integrations right and how can we integrate payroll to a ben admin system you know so there's a huge technology component to what we do as well and then the last piece of it is finance and h uh, finance and and ceo Um, that's where the cost comes in you know benefits are a key tool for attracting retaining employees Yep. At the end of the day, they need to remain cost effective. Um, the financial component to benefits, that world has changed drastically as well over the past five, 10 years. And there's now alternative funding strategies, um, captives, consortiums, self-funding that now can make sense for groups of employees or 50 or 75. We typically implement them right around the 100 employee mark, but we're having those conversations around 50 employees where 10 years ago, those strategies were really reserved for companies of 500 or more employees. So for us, it's it's always trying to stay ahead of the curve and listening. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we've talked about this before, Marsha. We've we've always trying to take the approach of giving our clients what they need versus what they've come to expect from traditional brokers. Yep. So the only way to do that is by listening understanding where the pain points are, where the needs are, and evolving our service model accordingly. Yeah, I think it's interesting because what we're hearing out there too is the fact that a lot of entrepreneurs um, want to have really good benefits. They want to have the basics in there too. And I think I always try to say to them, listen, having great benefits is awesome, but make sure that you know the cost is a lot different when you're 10 employees versus 100 employees. 
So you can always add to your benefits, but it's really hard to take away your benefits once you establish them. Yeah, 100%. And um, it's what's really interesting when we talk to entrepreneurs that have never offered a plan before. And we start showing them it's 99% of the time you get the immediate sticker shock of what? Yeah. (laughs) And under the Obamacare guidelines, most carriers require require the employer to pay at least 50% of that Mm -hmm. premium. Um, It is a top two or three line item for most employers. So um, it's definitely a learning curve and entrepreneurs learn rather quickly that that needs to be a part of your built-in budget early on. Oh, absolutely. I tell people as soon as you have it, you know, even like four or five people just start putting it in your budget because right. it's a lot easier to have increments of the increases over the years versus starting when there are like 50 employees, which are required to, um, and seeing that humongous sticker shock per month. Um, so, right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So let's go back to like, you know, Capstone. You yep. guys decided to do your own thing. You had Dan in there. You know, what was it that said, we're doing this? What was that thing that light bulb went off back in 2013 and said, why can't we do this? You know, what were some of the factors that made you do and say yes? Uh, you know what, Marcia, I think a lot of it had to do with the competitive landscape at the time. Being naive to the business, all Joe and I knew was there's there seems to be an insurance broker on every corner. Mm-hmm. And that was our point to Dan was, Dan, why are we going to get into this? You know, I you can't throw a rock in the Philadelphia area without hitting an insurance broker. And right. Dan said, you're right, but let's break this down. You know, there's a lot of people out there that can procure insurance. Right. There is not a lot of technically sound, people-focused risk management professionals and employee benefits professionals. You know, if you narrow the list down that way, you're really talking about, you know, a top one or 2% of that list. So when he positioned that to us, it, it started opening our eyes a little more and and we then started segmenting and we we to give credit to our competitors we definitely identified three four of them in, in the greater philly area where we said they're doing it right they're doing mm-hmm. it the right way in our eyes and let's kind of take their best practices and what they've been able to build and and put our spin on it make it our own um so when we narrowed it down that way and 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 also factor in, and I did hear you also, you had talked about this on a previous episode, but M&A, the mergers and acquisitions going on in a lot of industries, but especially ours over the past 10 years um, has been crazy. So yeah. we've watched some of our biggest competitors be acquired, be merged with other companies. And that list of say 10 competitors has now boiled down to three or four of them. Yep. Um, for us, that's only more opportunity. And, you know, given my brother's age and my age and, and you know, where we are in the infancy, really, of our business, we have a really long runway. And it, it, we see that as a competitive advantage going into companies and saying, hey, we want to be your partner. Uh, we want to be your insurance and your benefits partner, not only for today and next year and the next year, but let's create a three, five, three and five year plan. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue to reevaluate and update this plan. And that's been a very powerful message for us um, is creating these runways of three and five years because benefits is a key to a company. Yeah. Commercial property and casualty needs to evolve as a company grows. And you want a partner who can be with you today and for the foreseeable future. 
So let's talk about some of those secrets and mistakes, though, because 11 years, you'll learn a lot. Sure. You grow a lot and all too. So what, what are some of the mistakes that you've made along the way? Yeah, uh, we've made a lot of them, <laughs> made a lot of mistakes. And uh, I, I can't say that I'd go back and change them. You know, like I said, we were we were not only new to this industry, we were new to being business owners. So the only way for us to learn is to make mistakes. And we even say with our youngest people now, it's the term we use is effort mistakes. Make an effort mistake. We're okay with that because we learn from it and hopefully we don't make that mistake again. But there was no, there's no other way that I saw to learn than, than making those mistakes early on and still today. Um, that's kind of a cop-out answer. I didn't <laughs> answer your question. So the one thing I would say is say, say I was to go back, the the only thing I would probably tell myself is to be more selective early on. And what I mean by that is in, in every aspect of our business, right? Whether it's the clients we choose to bring on, the vendors we choose to be on, the, the employees, right? We have 30 employees now, but we've been through several more over the course of the last nine years. And um, when you're in it early on and you're in survival mode, you tend to make knee-jerk reactions that you think are good for that moment, but you're not necessarily thinking, you know, six months ahead, 12 months ahead. So um, we can afford now nine years in to be very selective on who we work with, the partners we choose, the employees we bring on. And it's a really nice place to be on, but to a place to be in. But um, again, it didn't happen overnight. So um, it, being selective is a luxury. I think of, of being somewhat of a more mature business, but um, early on, we certainly made mistakes that cost us time, that cost us capital. And, you know, so, some of those mistakes can certainly be toxic to an organization. Oh, sure. But any entrepreneur knows that you listen, you, you need to take projects on to put food on the table. Right. And we've all been there and how to pay payroll. And, you know, you look back at it and say, well, that was wrong move. That was right. not wrong move. And, you know, but you live and learn from that. And you say yep. to yourself, like, you've become really good and you have to, it's like an 80-20 rule. 80 of your clients are going to be amazing. And 20% are always going to try to bring you down. And, um, mm -hmm. and so how, how quickly, the more mature you become, that 20% goes lower because your tolerance goes lower. So yeah. it's, it's a normal thing for all entrepreneurs, for sure. Um, what about in regards to growth mistakes? I mean, obviously hiring is definitely one thing or, and working with different partners, but what about like just your internal operations, anything you learned along the way about, okay, needed to do that sooner. Yeah, sooner. And, um, you know, just being smart with capital. I mean, cash mm -hmm. is king at the end of the day. And <clears throat> we've definitely made decisions over the past nine months that, that cost us capital and, look, looking back, you learn from those mistakes. At the time, it was painful. And, um, you know, I think that the tough decisions you have to make is when you invest capital and time into something. And for us, it, it was, you know, more resources, you know, when we, we bring on certain IT products or vendors, um, even employees, and you feel invested in, in them, or in these services, and, and you do have cash, tied to it, deciding when it, it, deciding when, knowing when it's not working and deciding mm -hmm. when to cut the cord um, has been very difficult. 
right? It's you never want to feel like you're failing or giving up on something. But in hindsight, some of those where we've let go of services, of clients, of people, whatever it is, have have enabled us to grow and scale. Um, so that would, you know, that's another, I guess, word of advice would be um, identify that as quickly as possible, things that are holding you back and and knowing when to cut the cord. I mean, I'm sure in your business, you, you always talk about uh, hire slow, fire fast. And I think that's applicable to many aspects of the business, not just when it comes to the team. Oh, yeah. I think I, I do a lot more coaching with clients because they don't want to be the bad guy. And yeah. this person's really nice. They've been with us for 10 years and they're good people. And, you know, I want to get rid of them. And the first question I always ask is, are they going to be surprised when we have that conversation? Right. And I love it when they write back to me and say, well, they shouldn't be. Right. And I sat there like, so that means they're going to be right. and that we got to put other things in play. And I wish there was more training for the executives and CEOs to have the, the hard conversations, because the, the sooner you have them, the better off your company is going to be. And not only that, your your internal team respects each other even more so. I think that's one of the big things I have found with a lot of companies. And I love it when I have to do a confidential search. And I'm always like, well, why do we have to do a confidential? Who's who's not having the conversation? Right. Um, and so when you start rolling about that onion, you realize that there's a lot more issues that are coming to the table than they're willing to admit. So yeah, that, interesting. Yeah, that early on, you have your head down and you're just in such growth mode that you're not always aware of everything that's going on around you. And right. we learned from that after the first couple of years that our team wanted more transparency, right? right. We know we're coming in. We know we're, we're all buying into the same mission and we know essentially what our day to day is, but what's, what's the bigger picture here? You know, what are we looking to accomplish? And, because of that, we started implementing quarterly all team meetings and talking about our wins, not only on the benefit side, but on the commercial side and the personal line side. And it was it kind of had to work at knocking those walls down and becoming one team. You know, when you have yep. three different divisions, everybody's siloed. Uh, yep. But for us, we needed to work pretty hard on making sure it was transparent and we were operating together. And at the end of the day, we found people that really connected together that were in different divisions. We found a lot more synergies with cross-selling and opportunities within divisions. And um, that has really helped us accelerate the game plan um, just by bringing the three divisions together. And that's hard to do. Obviously, COVID hit all of us last year immensely. And, you know, you can't, I mean, our business is seeing people and having yeah. breakfasts and lunches and golf outings and all. You didn't do that last year. Nobody did. Right. And yet you had a really good year. So walk us through some of the ways you had success during COVID. Yeah, I think first and foremost, just how our team responded was incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't say I'm surprised, but it was almost a rallying moment, right? This is something we're all going through together. Um, so, you know, we implemented a lot of virtual calls and team meetings and zoom and yeah we probably phased that out later on in the pandemic from just some type of zoom fatigue but early on everybody was yearning for that human interaction so mm -hmm. um 
our team was phenomenal through that. Like I, 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 and we do have most employees back in the office now, but um, through that period, it was almost like, you know, a unifying moment where um, it did bring everybody a little closer. Now, from a growth standpoint, um, we were very fortunate that we've, we've developed partnerships and, and with our current client base and relationships over the last nine years. You know, for newer entrepreneurs and business owners, and even for new, some of our newer sales guys, and um, you know, they they lost that the 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 ability to open new doors. So yeah, that that kind of ceased for us as far as um, being out there and meeting people and creating too many new relationships. Mm-hmm. But our existing partners not only helped keep us afloat, but enabled us to excel. Um, you know, because we, we were able to, you know, over communicate with them and and tell them about some of the ways that we're helping other clients through the pandemic. And um, whether it was through layoffs or consulting on employment related practices, liability, workers comp changes, disability. I mean, there were so many areas of our business that were being impacted by COVID. So mm-hmm. by putting educational pieces out there, um, enabled us to be introduced to to new clients even over the course of the last 18 months. Well, the great thing about Capstone is you guys have got a great reputation. Um, you definitely have a reputation of getting back to people, taking good care of them. That's why I think one of the reasons why you've grown so much. And how do you do that? Like, how do you, I mean, during COVID was really hard and then, you know, but you've gotten a really good uh, foothold of coverage in this area. Like, what do you think some of your success and secrets to share with other like you know builders out there yeah no i mean i think the word we use is advocates right is like how can we build advocates Mm -hmm. and advocates are in the form of vendors of our network but of our clients too and from day one the only way we saw to do that was and we say this in here all the time and our people are probably sick of hearing it but it's exceeding expectations with every interaction right and we just always that we that's something we we drill down to all the time in every meeting and um, you know people have good days and bad days and we understand we're in the problem business so if we're talking to somebody nine times out of ten they're in the middle of a, a problem mm-hmm. and for us it's making sure we're treating the CEO of a large client the same way we're treating a new employee a new hire and if we're we feel like if we're doing the right thing and exceeding expectations with every interaction that's going to come right that's going to be a product of it is that trust and of that relationship um we're in a relationship business much like you are um and we just feel that you know if we're looking out for the best interest of others then that you know the growth will come the trust will come and like i said it, it took us probably four or five years to build that and it finally did start to click um i think the second part of that is being a connector right and i think nobody understands that better than you do um i know you and i have only really known each other for a couple years now and a lot of that are pandemic years Mm -hmm. but i'll you know to compliment you i think you're the best one of the best connectors i've ever seen out there and thank you for me it's not um it's not just you know putting people in touch but it's really understanding how people can add value to each other and when you have somebody who's out there and putting people together with no agenda, 
of their own in mind and you know just hoping that both of them can add value to each other's lives or to each other's businesses um, that's a powerful tool that's a really powerful tool so um look i uh, i'm fortunate to be able to watch people like you and other people in my network who i've learned from um but you know i think i think that's definitely a big piece of it as well and during the pandemic that was also a powerful tool it's it's not just looking at your business and how you can improve your own business but hey who else is out there that's struggling right now that i can try to help um and as you know that that pays dividends that's all it was out there last year was helping others and uh we still feel that way actually and we're very fortunate to have the work but you have to do that out and philly is funny they, they, they'll do business with you when they know you and they trust you. Right. And, uh, and you got to be careful. Every city is different, but Philly is definitely about the trust factor. That's for sure. So what's next for Capstone? Where you have your three, five-year plan already written out. So could you give us a little sneak preview of what's coming down the pike? I wish we had a formal plan written out, Marcia. It's always subject to change. But um, I think like many entrepreneurs, we're, we have aggressive growth goals. Um, but for us, we've learned over the past nine years, it needs to be calculated. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure we're scaling and providing resources to our team that keep up and outpace our growth. Yep. And that was kind of a challenge over the past 12 months where we did go through a pretty big hiring spree. Yeah, I think over the past, really, yeah, 12 months, we probably went from 20 employees to 30 employees um, in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, And for us, it was, really scaling ahead, making sure that we had the, the support and resources there to continue the growth pace we're on. So um, growth for sure, I would say then uh, always keeping our eye out for additional opportunities, whether that's expanding our service offering, expanding our geographic scope, strategic investments, and even possible acquisitions at some point. You know, we've, we've, we've talked to very high level of a couple potential firms to acquire, um, none that will probably materialize anytime soon. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely on our radar if and when the right opportunity comes about. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's awesome. What yeah. are you doing now to like keep yourself listed out? Like, okay, let's talk about um, books. What kind of books are you reading right now? <laughs> uh, a lot of kids books right now, Marcia. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home. So uh, shout out to Julia Donaldson. I feel like that's all we're reading right now is like the Gruffalo and her whole anthology. But um, I try to mix in workbooks and my wife will laugh if she ever hears this because like by my bedside, I probably have three or four books that I've started and I'll pick them up and put them down. And um, there's always a highlighter in there too, you know, making sure I'm uh, things that stick out to me. The one that I keep coming back to is um, Ben Horowitz, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I think that's just phenomenal. And it's a, it's, it's one, it's easy because you can pick it up and read a chapter and pick up something from it and put it back down. So uh, his advice, like you said in the beginning of this, the tough conversations that nobody teaches executives to have, he has anecdotes that go through a lot of those. Uh, or it's early stages or when he scaled large companies. So uh, that was a, a really cool read for me. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I had more time to read than I do. And um, also, if you're if your friend 
CBK, uh, Cheryl Beth listens to this at any point. She did send me a scaling up book that's still sitting here right here on my desk. And I promised her I will crack it at some point. So that's also on my list. Oh, you know, CBK, if you do not read that book by the next <laughs> time you talk, okay. Every time I do it, I'm guilty. So I'll get oh, to it. Yeah, she does listen to these. Absolutely. What what podcasts, obviously, besides top three, yep. do you listen to right now? Um, Joe Rogan's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't listen to, to a ton of podcasts. Um, but Joe Rogan, it just some of the I think just the diversity of guests that he has on. Right. And uh, how impressive. I think he's just a big preparer, which yeah. I admire, you know, the preparation that he puts into each of the interviews. Um, and for a long time, I was a big Howard Stern fan. And I think it's this, the same reasons. You know, these guys over prepare for these interviews and come off as experts in whatever field that uh, that they're talking about that day. So um, those two, I think, are, are some of my favorite interviewers. Yeah, they're, they're good. There's so many of them. Another one out there, too, for growing businesses, Dan Sullivan, um, the multiplier mindset, really good. He yeah. get, he's, he's got a really good, just a very easy listening voice, believe it or not. So if you're like really all frantic and all hectic, you got to put Dan on because it just even calms you down. Kind yeah. of a deal. But he's so good. He's talked to so many entrepreneurs out there as well. And he just basically, you know, walks you off the cliff basically and, and does it so that you don't go crazy out yeah. there. There's so many that you could do. It's such a I full-time it. job. And during the, um, during the last 18 months, I started joining more of peer groups. Mm-hmm. And most of them were virtual. But, um, you know, over the course of the last nine years, we've built our business just by learning, learning from mistakes. I have two incredible co-founders that mm-hmm. you know, the three of us work really, really well together. And I'm lucky to have some great mentors in my life. You know, one being my dad who had been, he's gone through this himself, but having those peer groups going through a pandemic of that none of us have ever faced before was, was amazing. And yeah. it really helped just to be able to talk through things, how you're handling return to the office. Um, tough situations and a lot of them we've kept in touch with and i can already tell though you know they'll continue we'll continue to be in each other's corner for years to come so um i I do think that's incredibly important of having other people's opinions yeah and um it's pretty crazy now when you talk about that which groups are you involved with right now can you share um some i can't share um but because we're in the early stages I did participate in a few of the the CEO groups that you had put on, uh, those peer groups, which I thought were great. And uh, there were one or two other informal peer groups of of really CEOs that were in our network, um, business owners, business leaders that that happened naturally during the pandemic, where we just started doing weekly Teams or Zoom meetings. Um, And uh, frankly, those were some of my favorite because it was, it just happened again, uh, organically um, for people that needed that type of support. Yeah, I think people just needed support. I still think they still do need support, yeah. you know, cause people are still very up in the arms as to what's happening this fall 
and about opening up. I'm hearing the big companies are going to be three days a week. I have other companies that are like, yeah, I want people back here five days. I said, well, be careful out there because right now there are five open jobs for each person. And if you don't want your recruiting stats to go up, like you got to have a little bit of compassion, understanding. And even if you have to wait until that happens until the spring, you got to figure out what's best for the business and for your employees. Yeah, we, we certainly, you know, one positive we took away from the pandemic was our office schedule and our work schedule. And we, we, we came back now we're operating under a much more flexible work environment um, yep. before we were five days in the office nine to five most of the time mm -hmm. and, um pandemic showed us that we do have the ability to work remotely efficiently so yep. um we are under a much more flexible work schedule than we had uh prior to the start of the pandemic oh i think everybody does kevin you have to. If, if you don't write if you don't really have that like well good luck keeping and retaining yeah, your people exactly. you know so going to be a whole different ball game, I think, in uh, middle of September, all October. But that's exactly. just me talking. So we'll see. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. I think yeah. it's been great. I give you kudos for such significant growth and making Inc. 5000. Which oh, is thank awesome you. Awesome news, which is really exciting stuff. Welcome to the club. And um, that's all good. I love seeing <laughs> it. And I love seeing all my good friends out there do some great things. Um, with that. And like I said, everybody out there, um, you know, keep on going with being an entrepreneur. There's so many great things to learn, but you're going to fall down. You're going to get back up again and that's okay. Um, and so we'll see what happens. So I'm loving everybody having all, all the calls out there. I've heard some great things happening and I got these best entrepreneurs that we've all been there. We all start with a piece of paper guys. So you, we can do it. You can do it. So on that end, I'm going to stop there and welcome. And again, Thanks for joining in top three, where entrepreneurs are sharing secrets and mistakes. I'm Marsha O'Connor with the O'Connor Group. Until then, stay safe and stay well. Take care. Thanks, Marsha.